the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. Moses had spent 40 days receiving from God the civil and ceremonial laws that the Israelites were to obey. It was a magnificent time for Moses that ended in catastrophe as God informed Moses about the people committing idolatry down in the camp at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses came down to deal with the people and destroyed the golden calf they had been worshipping. But was this the only mark of repentance from the children of Israel? Did they truly want God over their idols? Here we join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. The whole purpose of Exodus is to show God's promises to a new nation. Genesis brought us through the promises he'd made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And now we come to this new nation that has just grown and and sprung forth from those 70 or so individuals who went down into Egypt with Jacob. As God has made these new promises to the nation of Israel, one of them was that he would be their God, they'd be his people. He'd have a relationship with them. But that relationship is now threatened. Moses comes down from the mountain where he's received all the wonderful instructions for the tabernacle. And what he comes down to is the horror of Israel worshiping a golden bull and engaging in sexually immoral celebrations. He stops it immediately by burning the golden bull and throwing the ashes into the water so their gods will be defiled by becoming waste after they drink it. And and then he tells the people to set themselves apart from their awful behavior because the Lord wants to bless them. Uh, That blows me away. I mean, you know, (laughs) I've got four kids, so odds are at least one time during the day, somebody's in trouble. Most of the time, it's more than one somebody. So, And as you know, you come out and you deal with it and stuff. I don't usually come out and discipline and go, all right, everybody get ready because dad's going to bless you. That's not usually how it works. Usually it's like, is dad gone? He's upset, you know, whatever. And, you know, they're just trying to recover. But here, Moses says to him, the Lord wants to bless you, not destroy you. He wants to bless you after all the horrid things you've done. People say the Old Testament God is one of wrath and the New Testament is one of grace, to which I say we must not be reading the same Bible. God is ever gracious, not desiring to judge us, but to bless us. Last week, we focused on Israel's great sin, but tonight we're going to focus on God's great grace. So Exodus 32, and we pick it up in verse 30. I, I know last week we said it's all 32, but really... Chapter 33 should start here because this is a change now. So it's verse 30, chapter 32. Now it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. Now Moses wanted to fix things the day that he came down. But after commanding the people to set themselves apart to the Lord, about 3,000 men and women who aren't counted continue in their immoral, idolatrous behavior. And so Moses has the Levites go through the camp to execute them, which obviously puts the end to any hope of reconciliation with God that day. And all right, everybody who's in trouble is dead. Let's go ahead and get right with God. And the night's going to go by and they're going to start over tomorrow. And so it comes to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, 
you have sinned a great sin. The word there, great, it means the upper range of a thing. I mean, you have really blown it. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot worse that Israel could have done while Moses is up on the mountain receiving instructions on how to have a relationship with God, how much God loves them and cares about them than for them to do this. And they could not have done a whole lot worse. And you know, it's interesting. There's a colon there, which means he pauses. Moses lets the reality of their actions sink in. But to experience grace, we're going to talk about a few ways that we, things that are important for us to experience God's grace tonight. But to experience grace, there must be a comprehension of my sin. There has to be. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, there has to be a recognition. Oftentimes, and I've probably shared this story a billion times, but I will have people that will be praying with me and they'll, they'll have had some struggle with some sin. And we'll say, okay, all right, well, let's, let's, let's take it to the Lord. Let's repent and, and let's get it right with God. Okay, all right. All right, you pray. Okay. God, I know, you know, what I've done. It's caused a lot of hurt to people around me. And, and Lord, I just feel miserable. And, and would you help me to repent? In Jesus' name, amen. And I look at them and I go, okay, we're going to start over. <laughs> and I've heard those exact words, help me to repent. There are things that the Lord does indeed help us do. I mean, we see that beautiful scripture, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's the way, you know, I felt this morning as I was sharing that those scriptures that were so crucial to Paul seeing God move in the city of Corinth. You know, I thought, Lord, I know you can do that here in Orlando. I believe, but help my unbelief because we're growing in our faith. We're growing in that. Repentance is just a simple choice. It's a change of mind. That's what the word means. It means to turn, to change your mind. You're going one direction in your thinking. Now you're going to go in the opposite direction. And I tell the person, I say, listen, what you need to tell God is this. Yes, I understand you've hurt a bunch of people. Yes, you feel awful. But what you need to do is you need to tell them, God, what I have done is wrong. I have sinned against you and I repent. You know, I choose not to do that anymore. The idea of recognition is very important to God. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We like the forgiveness part, but there's a start there. We confess our sin. There needs to be, and the word confess means to say the same thing. Homilogio, say the same thing. He says, you need to say the same thing that God says about it. It's sin. It's wrong. And, and you know, it's important. There's something cathartic about me when I come to the Lord and say, Lord, I was unkind to my wife today. That was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Will you please restore me? Will you please change me? So to experience grace in our life, we have to humble ourselves and we have to, you know, we have to, there must be a comprehension of my sin. You know, I think we often miss out on the blessings God wants to bestow upon us because we refuse to recognize our wrongdoing. It's like the apologies that, you know, athletes make when they say something offensive or celebrities. They'll come up and they'll say, you know, I'm so sorry that what I said offended you. That's not an apology, that's blame. You know, I'm so sorry that you got offended by what I said. I have no problem with what I said, but obviously you have a problem, so I'm sorry you have a problem. And, and sometimes we come to the Lord like that. Lord, I'm just really sorry things have not worked out well. And you know, it's almost like the Lord's going, oh, so I dropped the ball? The Lord didn't drop the ball, we did. And so it's important for us to make that recognition. And Moses goes on after he lets that sink in. He says, and now I will go up unto the Lord peradventure or perhaps I shall make an atonement for your sin. I'm hoping to make reconciliation for sin, to get you and you, us and God back together again, the nation and God back together again, okay? You had created a breach. I'm gonna go up and try to fix that. So verse 31, Moses comes up and, and his first attempt at reconciliation after helping the people recognize what they've done is he's gonna just ask God to forgive. That's a great thing to do, just to come and ask, Lord, will you just forgive? And so he goes up and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, oh, This people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. You know, I imagine this was a long walk back up the mountain with a lot of time to think. 
Now, did the people realize what they'd done? He knew that was important to receive God's forgiveness. They had to recognize their sin. But even if they did, would God forgive them? You know, could Moses do anything to ensure God forgave them? And so he comes up and he says, oh, which is a marker of request, which is, oh, please hear me, God. Please hear this prayer. And his prayer is, I know this people have sinned a great sin. The phrase there is sinned. It's different than the normal word for sin. It means, I know this people are guilty. I know they have done wrong. Lord, there is no excuse. Moses starts with a no excuses confession of wrongdoing. And you know what? That is the second step to experiencing grace. It's interesting how an apology can work sometimes. Early on in my marriage, I was a horrible apologizer. I would say my apologies normally sounded something along the lines of this. Listen, I'm sorry I yelled at you or I got mad at you. But if you hadn't done this and this and this, I wouldn't have done it. Now, again, that's not an apology. That's blame. I would have never sinned if you hadn't sinned first. So really, I was just reacting to your sin. So once you get your act together, we won't have any problems. Yeah, I was a winner. But Moses, no excuses confession of wrongdoing. If we want to experience God's grace, you have an area of your life where you've sinned, you have really blown it, and you have gone astray, or you've done something God said not to do, and you want to experience his grace, you have to come to him and say, Lord, it's all, it's all on me. Yeah, my work situation is bad, and I shouldn't have stolen from the boss or whatever. I shouldn't have been robbing time or whatever it was. All that's true, Lord, but that's entirely on me. I did this. It was my choice. I did wrong, and I don't want to do wrong anymore. And note that he lists exactly what was done. You know, I found humility to be much more genuine when I tell God exactly what I did. You know, I lost my temper with the kids. Lord, I was unfaithful with the finances. Lord, I was unkind to that person. Lord, I didn't listen to your spirit. And, and I've found that when I do that, the Lord is, he's just there with open arms, ready to receive me. And so that's what Moses is hoping, okay? I hope that people, you know, understand what they've done. And I'm going to come with a no-nonsense, no-excuses confession, and I'm just going to ask God to forgive. And so he says, yet now, even though they've done this horrible thing, they made them gods of gold, if you will forgive their sin, we can go on. The word forgive here, it means to remove the guilt and any penalties it incurred. Will you, Lord, will you just remove the guilt and any penalties it incurred? Will you just wash it away so we can move on? But here we see a semicolon. Again, a pause. Moses is hoping that God will say yes. He's hoping that this will put an end to it. The people's penitence, that that will be enough. His, his, his honest confession will be enough. And God will just be gracious and forgive. But you know what? As he waits... Moses realizes that God won't just forgive sin. See, God's attributes aren't subservient to each other. But I thought God's gracious. You're right, he is. But God's grace doesn't negate his righteousness. Sin must be punished. Otherwise, grace would cover everyone's sins and all would be saved, whether they repent or not or confess or not or get right with God or not or anything. It's very clear that, you know, God, his righteousness must be fulfilled. Sin has to be dealt with. So God just can't, you know, he go, God, can you just forgive us? And he can, no, I can't just forgive you. My righteousness demands that even though my grace would want to bestow a blessing upon you, my righteousness demands that there be a punishment for sin. Hebrews 9 verse 22 explains this truth to us more clearly. And almost all things, Things are by the law purged or cleansed with blood. And here it is. And without shedding of blood is no remission, the King James says, but the word is forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God's forgiveness always requires a basis. And that basis is a substitutionary atonement. Now, the substitutionary atonement of Christ has been something that's been under attack very much recently. It, it was under attack by liberal Christianity in the 1800s in Europe, but it's under attack very recently now. This idea that God would 
that Christ was penally atoning for our sin, that, that he was paying the price for our sins of the cross, that God was pouring out his wrath upon Christ, on his son for, for our sin. They say that, no, that, that's horrible. God would never do that. That's a horrible thing. But the Bible's very clear, it's, and it doesn't make any apology for it, that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There must be a substitute to atone for my sin. In Leviticus 17.11, it repeats these same words. It says in Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. We see it right from the beginning in the garden with the animal skins. When Adam and Eve sin, what does the Lord do? It says they cover themselves with fig leaves. Not very comfortable, by the way. And what he does is he give, it says he clothes them with animal skins. Now, animals don't just give up their skin. Hey, here I have my skin. They have to be killed, and then you can take their skin. So the Lord had to slaughter two animals and then take the skin, construct something that they could wear that would be wearable on it, and then they would wear that to cover up their nakedness. So right from the beginning, God illustrates the principle of substitutionary atonement. Now Moses knows this. All throughout Genesis we saw it. He understands this is how it has to be. So look at what Moses does next. Moses knows God won't just forgive. There must be an atonement. And so Moses says, and if not, if that doesn't work, if you can't just forgive them, then blot me, I pray you, out of your book, which you have written. The phrase blot out means to cause something to no longer exist. Cause my name to no longer exist in the book which you have written. What book is he referring to? The word for book here refers to a citizenship leather, a ledger. When you would uh, you know, come into the city and they, you would have rights to buy or sell or set up your market here or whatever, you had to be a citizen to be able to do that. You couldn't be a foreigner and do that because, <laughs> it's funny, things never change, because you want to give your home crowd people the advantage in sales rather than the people who are far away. So this word refers to a citizenship ledger, but in this case, it's a heavenly one. Psalm 69.29 calls it the book of the living. The book of life is what it's called in Philippians 4.3 and quite a few places in the book of Revelation. Daniel 12.1 simply calls it the book, just like Moses does here. They knew this. This was understood that God had a heavenly citizenship ledger. Okay. Now, Psalm 69.29 says that this book contains a list of the righteous and it ensures those whose names are inside eternal life before God. So the idea is, I know my name's written in that ledger. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to be good. And it's the wonderful privilege that we have as Christians that our names are written in the book of life. Now, Moses, therefore, he offers to atone for the people's sin by spending eternity separated from God so they won't have to be. Paul made a similar statement in Romans 9.3 where he said, if it were possible, because he has the benefit of Moses' conversation here with God, he says, if it were possible, I myself would be accursed for my kinsmen, Israel, that they could be saved. The Bible says that greater love is no man this than he laid down his life for his friends, right? What great love Moses has for the people here. What a contrast to how, remember how God says to him? He says to him, hey, listen, we're gonna wipe them out and I'm gonna start over with you. Instead of the Israelites, it'll be the Mosesite. And now here he's saying, blot me out so that they can all have a relationship with you, that they can be forgiven. Hearing God's response, Paul knew such a thing was not possible. For the Lord said unto Moses, finally the Lord speaks. And he says, no, (laughs) whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. 
Moses can't atone for the people. The sins of others do have consequences that affect us. But Moses had already experienced that. But God doesn't judge us for other people's sins, period. He never does. I hear a lot of times people say, I think God's doing this because of my husband. No, he's not doing this because of your husband. I think God's doing this to me because of, you know, what my forefathers did or my my grandmother. You know, I, I... Fear is a powerful tool when it's in the hands of a leader. And I've seen probably in many cases, well-meaning, charismatic leaders who will grip their people with fear by all these generational curses they've got upon them. Your grandmother's a witch, so that means you've God can't bless you and you've got these curses upon you. You know what? That is so not biblical. Look at Ezekiel 18 with me. Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, you can read the whole chapter on your own time because it deals with this whole topic. There was a phrase that really annoyed the Lord where the Israelites would say, well, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, so the children's teeth are set on edge. And what that basically meant was is, yeah, well, our forefathers messed it all up for us. That's why we're here right now. And remember, Ezekiel's writing to the exiles in Babylon. You know, he's in Babylon himself, and he's writing to them. And they're sitting there thinking, well, we didn't do anything wrong. The problem is our forefathers did. And he's saying, no, you're here because of the wrong you've done. God doesn't punish you for the wrongdoing of your forefathers. So here the Lord says in the middle of this conversation that he's explaining this to Israel through Ezekiel in verse 19 of chapter 18. He says, as for his father, because he cruelly oppressed and spoiled his brother with violence and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. And yet you say, well, why does not the son bear the iniquity of the father? Which was a popular statement back then. He says, well, when the son has done that which is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and has done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sins, it shall die. And the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. For the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. If he does wickedness, hey, then he's got the wickedness upon him. If he's doing what's right, then, you know, he's a righteous man. So God does not punish us for our forefathers' sins. Now, other people's sins do affect us, but that is just the natural consequences of sin. If I decide to go out and start drinking and partying and whatever and, you know, sleeping around, then I'm going to get fired, you know, and I'm no longer going to be a pastor. And that's going to affect my family in a lot of ways if I were to do something like that. That would not be God's punishment upon them for my sin. It would just be the natural consequences of sin and the effect it has on people around us. But God does not punish people or you for other people's sins. And so Moses can't atone. Now, we must mention the genuine love Moses had toward his people to make this kind of request. This is the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross, right? He said, I'll take their place. I'll die on their behalf. And as I said earlier, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And I don't know about you, but I need that kind of love. I can't make this statement yet. I I love all of you, but I'm not going to hell for any of you. (laughs) And... uh, I can't, but my point is, is that I know that kind of love that would put myself in someone else's place is the type of love that Jesus has. It's a supernatural love. That's why God gave us his spirit whose fruit is love so that we can love in the way Christ loves others, that we would stand in the gap for them, that we would put ourselves on the line for them. So the Lord says, no, you can't do that. And in fact, I'm not going to forgive them, Moses, but I will do something else for you since you've asked. Therefore, verse 34, now go and lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto you. I'm not forgiving them. You go and lead them to the promised land. 
But here's what I'll do. Check this out. Behold, my angel shall go before you. That's the plan. He says, Moses, go without forgiveness. Just go. No forgiveness. Go and lead the people. I'll still keep my promise to Israel's forefathers, even though their children have violated the terms of the covenant. I will keep my promise to them. So you go and you lead the people into the place which I have spoken unto you. And this is, the, this is the grace I will show you. Behold, my angel will go before you. So Moses, you don't have to lead them alone. I'll send the angel. You know, and, and Moses must have been thinking when he hears these words, what? Do you want me to go and lead them? I can't lead them there. We can't do this on our own. And so the Lord says, hey, listen, I will send my angel before you to guarantee success. He knows what's in Moses' heart. He pauses there. And Moses is lingering. He's thinking, no, that's not going to work either. He's saying, we want you to go with us. But the Lord explains, nevertheless, in the day when I visit, if I come in, in the middle of you, I will visit their sin upon them. And to prove his point, the Lord begins to plague the people because of the calf that Aaron had made. If Moses was hoping for better news, it's not coming. The Lord explains to Moses, I can't come in the midst of the people because if I come among them, I'm gonna have to judge them for what they've done. And to prove that he's already even too close to them, God sends a plague. Now, can you imagine how disappointing this encounter with God must have been for Moses? I mean, he's going up hoping to reconcile the people and God. I know what God's like. I think he'll just forgive him. And if not, I'll offer myself. And, and you know, he asks and the Lord, no, nothing. And so he says, okay, well, I'll offer myself. The Lord says, you can't do that. And, and in fact, I'm not forgiving them either. So just go and lead them. I know that troubles you, so I'll send an angel. But I can't go with them because if I do, I'll wipe them out. And, and so I, I'm already ready to wipe them out. And he sends a plague. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Moses? It looks like the covenant's over, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's finished. Everything God showed him in the mount for 40 days is all moot now because of their sin with the bull. And yet, as Moses stands there stunned, the Lord commands him to leave and take the people with him. Verse 1, chapter 33. He's sitting there stunned, and the Lord says to Moses, depart, come on, let's go. And go up from here, leave the mountain and my presence. I send my angel with you, leave the mountain, leave my presence, and the people which you have brought up out of, out of the land of Egypt, and take them unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hittite, the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, there's a pause, a colon. There's lots of pauses here. And, and it's almost like you know, Moses is still standing there. And it, you're really not going to come with us. And the Lord explains, for I will not go up in the middle of you, for you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you in the way. You're a stubborn, unyielding, unchanging in attitude and behavior people. And so the truth is this. This is even a sense of the Lord's mercy and his judgment. Moses still wants God to come with them, even though he's not asking God anymore. It's in his heart. God knows this. And so he explains to Moses, listen, even if I answered every desire of your heart right now, Moses, if I just forgave him, I said, you know what, Moses, I'll forgive him. Let's go. And I come in their midst. The people would do something like this again because I know what they're like. And being in their midst... There would be no negotiations right now. If I was right in the middle of them and they violated the covenant again, crispy crittered. And you know what this reveals to us? It reveals to us that the people hadn't really changed their mind about their behavior yet. They hadn't repented. They might have been sorry. They might have even realized that they were wrong, but they hadn't turned away from it. You know, they figure, well, Moses always has fixed any problems with God, which is true. They'd whine about something, he'd go pray and God took care of it. Well, God, Moses will fix this one too. Well, this time, Moses has bad news for him. Verse four, and when the people heard these evil, the word there, evil, means bad or sad. When they heard these bad or sad tidings, the sad news, 
It says they mourn. Again, another pause, colon. They mourned. They were not expecting this response. Moses comes down, he says, guys, uh, here's the deal. Um, we gotta go. We gotta get away from this mountain. We gotta go get away from the presence of the Lord and, and, and we're gonna go to the promised land. He's gonna send his angel with us to lead us and guarantee success, but he's not, he's not coming. We blew it. And as that reality sinks in, they begin to mourn. Now, it's interesting. This is in the hithpale or reflective voice in the Hebrew, which means that they were the initiator of this mourning. It's not like Moses is like, listen, guys, you, know, you really need to take this seriously and mourn because, you know, maybe God will change his mind. No, I mean, they hear this and they just are broken. They finally realized what their sin had cost them, a relationship with God Almighty. It finally sinks in. And I believe with all my heart that this was a genuine sadness over what they've done, finally. A genuine sadness over what they've done. A genuine repentance. This is a third part of experiencing God's grace. We have to recognize our sin. We have to make a no-excuses confession. But we also need to humble our heart to the place where we're ready to just turn it around. A humble person is brokenhearted because they've done wrong against the Lord. A proud person is simply sad they got caught. And that's kind of how it seemed to be up to this point. They're sad. I mean, this is bad, man. God's mad and 3,000 people at least are dead. And, you know, and that fire up on the mountain, the smoke doesn't look very good. And as they're seeing that, they send Moses up. They're thinking, ah, Moses will work it out. But then they come down and they get the bad news and it really hits them. They're like, what? He's not coming with us? And they begin to mourn. Their hearts are broken over what they've done. They have come to that place of real repentance, real regret, real desire to change. God desires for us to have genuine repentance that moves us closer to Him. God does not want vain ritual or sacrifice. He doesn't need us to try and work harder for our salvation. He wants to bring us to a place where we can acknowledge our sin and our inability to make it right with God. It is not a feeling of being sorry, but agreeing with the Lord that sin is sin. Sin is ugly. And then here we cling to the finished work of Jesus as we trust that He took our sin and dealt with it on the cross. This is repentance, to turn away from sin and turn to the loving arms of God. Don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.